Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel, and uh, this episode we're going to have a mixture of things because, once again, I've been slacking. <laughs> um, I apologize up front that some of the clips with me are going to have sound that probably is not as good. I'm using a new headset that I, uh, I'm borrowing, actually. it's a, It goes against your skull instead of um, in your ears, so you can actually hear your environment, so it's, I guess, safer. Um, and uh, I noticed I did a quick recording that the... the the mic on it is not great. It's a, it's a little um, tinny, I think. So I'm sorry for the tinny voice, but okay, there you go. Uh, so yeah, we're going to have a variety of things. I got a, a couple calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I've got a, a few unboxings, uh, including a guest unboxing. Um, and I talk a little bit about, I got two segments, one on uh, critical hits and fumbles, kind of a uh, response to, to Evil Jeff uh, from Minions and Musings. And I also talk a little bit about engagement or some ideas about engagement. I'd love to get that conversation going, hopefully in a uh, a, a way that's not too controversial, <laughs> or maybe maybe it can be controversial. Who knows? Um, so kind of uh, got spurred on a little bit by uh, Joe uh, Joe Rector from Hindsightless comment on uh, Jason's uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast a few days back. So um, yeah, buckle up and uh, here we go. Hey Daniel, Jason here. Really enjoyed hearing your your response to Arlen's call calls, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts as you explore some more of those games. Uh, so I got to play Sword and Scoundrel with Arlen. We um, did it in kind of a Sword and Planet world, and it, it was a lot of fun. And, and it it seemed to work pretty well. We I don't know only end up playing a handful of sessions, but but, but it's a pretty interesting system. The whole Riddle Steel family of games is interesting. We're getting ready to start playing Bone Crunch, which is his modification of um, Blade of the Iron Throne, which is, I guess, the semi-official successor to Riddle of Steel. But, you know, that's going to be a sword and sorcery-based game, so we're looking forward to that. But the other thing I wanted to mention was Delving Deeper. I got to play in some sessions of a fairly long-running, delving deeper game using the Barrow Maze Mega Dungeon that Cody Maza of the No Save For You podcast did. And it, it, this was a couple years ago, and it was a lot of fun. We, we You know, delving deeper, that system works so well. Um, I, I played an elf, and as you know, delving deeper keeps the kind of odd thing with elves where, you know, you, you have to pick whether you're going to be a fighter or a you know, fighting man or a magic user, right? And, and you have to choose which which one you're going to be that day. And and then also, you know, there are no thieves in there. Right? Delving Deep Press optional rules for thieves. But it, it it was a really good game. It was a lot of fun. Um, and we had a lot of fun with it. I'm curious. I know Rob over at Confessions of Wee Timmer Spooshy is a fan of Iron Falcon, which is another, you know, OD&D clone. And while I have bought Iron Falcon, it's done by Chris um, Gonerman. I, I'm not looking it up right now, but it's the same gentleman that did the basic fantasy role-playing game. You know that you can basically you can get for free, and then you can buy it basically for cost off Amazon. Amazon, same thing with Iron Falcon. Iron Falcon is better organized than Delving Deeper. Delving Deeper's one flaw is you know OD&D of course isn't organized very well throughout the books, and as far as, like, a new person just going to it. And, you know, so you would hope the retro clones of it would fix that 
And delving deeper is kind of disorganized too when you go through. Now the, the document online is hyperlinked so you can hop around, but it is a little bit, it, it, it's not the best organized thing. At least back when we were playing a couple years ago, it wasn't. Um, so Iron Falcon, I think, is, is a little better organized, but I haven't really delved into it too much. Anyway, great job. Looking forward to your next one. Take care. Okay, so that was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Uh, thanks, Jason. Uh, yeah, I, I started looking at Swords and Scoundrel. It seems pretty crunchy, which is not typically what I like, even though it might seem like I like crunchy because I'm playing Chainmail. But anyways, um, yeah, I started looking into it. I haven't. I think I got a little bit wrapped up in other things, so I put it to the side because I think for me, I'm going to want to like make some characters in it. That's usually what I do. When I take a new system, I usually grab it and uh, make a few characters. And then I do kind of like some mock combats, because I always feel like that combat is the thing in RPGs that really separates the different systems. Because for me, at least the games I like to play, I don't tend to play games that have heavy rules for social interaction. So 99% of RPGs that I play, the social stuff is just dealt with socially. So, so I don't really care about that as much in RPGs. Um, I mostly care about the combat, and I just want to make sure it's not clunky. And it feels like that uh, Swords of Scoundrel's got some pretty cool but crunchy um, combat. I do see, though, of course, because this was an old message that uh, you guys have switched over to Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerer's Heartboria, which I really love. It's one of my favorite systems. Um, I think it's got just the right balance of crunch and coolness, and I love the setting. So, um, yeah, I'm, I, I, I hope you guys play Bone Crunch because I'm really interested. I was uh, watching a few of Arm's videos about it uh, here and there. I guess i got to go back and watch them in the beginning so I understand them. I watch things out of order, and sometimes I'm like, uh... But uh, it seems like a pretty cool, cool mod. It's so fun to just modify and, and you know change systems that you like. Uh, delving deeper, yes, 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 yes. I agree. It's not very well organized, and I think with delving deeper, one of the things, and maybe you did what I did, um, was I went into delving deeper thinking, well, I know how to play D and D, so I kind of just like skimmed over a lot of it and grabbed the stuff that I wanted at first, and it kind of confused me a bit, like things like normal type or normal man or whatever they call it. Uh, and stuff like that, I was like, I have no idea. But then you have to go back and read. Like, like you say, it's not really organized. It's like there's a bunch of like an info dump at the very beginning, which is the part of uh, newer RPGs that I tend to skip over because that's usually the what is an RPG thing. Um, so yeah, I agree. The, it's not the best organized system. Um, I actually have Iron Falcon. I bought the the hardbacks because you know um, at one point I went through a whole basic fantasy uh, RPG. Uh, moment <laughs> and i bought like because i mean they're so inexpensive on amazon i bought like every single book they had and then i realized right same author so i bought iron falcon but i literally got it print on demand uh from amazon or whatever however they do it on amazon put it up on my shelf and i <laughs> have yet to play it or even read it so maybe i'll pull that one down because i i do i do love odnd i love the odnd clones it's funny the longer i get into the longer i've been playing and maybe i'll switch back to the direction eventually the more I, I'm going older, like I'm getting older and older. Like I never played ODD, so uh, I don't have any kind of a uh, nostalgia for it. I know some other people say that when you're in playing these older games, it's like it's just nostalgia. They're actually not very good. Well, I never played ODD. That was well before my time, and uh, I'm finding it to be, in my opinion, one of one of the better versions of D&D because it's so stripped down. And as I mentioned before, I love the elf thing, which is probably why you mentioned it. And I think what I might do here on this podcast is I've started to, to slightly develop a world that I'm going to eventually run, I hope, um, in uh, with uh, with my Chainmail ODND hack. And I've kind of come up with an uh, in-world reason why the elves are like that. 
Um, I mean, I'm okay with the reason that elves are weird and live with it, but uh, I actually thought of like why they might be like that, and I and I've created this uh, this idea for my elves. So maybe I'll talk about that in a future uh, podcast if people are interested in that. So uh, yeah, thanks for calling, Jason. Sorry, it took me forever to call you to uh, to get back to these, but uh, always appreciate the calls. Okay, just got back from my walk, and I see here that I have two packages. Um, I don't have a microphone here, so let's hope this records okay. This first one is like a digest size, I guess. It's a it's a cardboard envelope. It's probably like, ooh, maybe like eight-ish inches by maybe like 10 or 11. And uh, should need a tool to open this. It's got a little flap. This may or may not be RPG-related. I have no idea what this is. It seems almost like the size like that a zine would fit in, so possibly it's something from Zine Quest. I'm still waiting for a few things. Oh, okay, something's in here. Oh. Hey there. This is junk mail. <laughs> wow, that's a nice piece of junk mail. Look at you. Man, I can get a loan from these people and they sent me a little card to make it really official and everything. Alright, well that's nothing. Okay. <laughs> Somebody's looking for a loan. Alright, this next one I'm gonna need my my knife for here. I've got my panel. Savour, which I got from the bespoke uh, box that I get monthly, which is basically a box full of stuff that you probably could buy for half the price of being part of the subscription service. But, you know, it's fun to get something in the mail. All right, this is a prime, one of those like bubbly plastic uh, envelopes. I think I know what's in this one. Oh, this is a pretty tough one. There we go. Cut through that, like butter. Oh, okay, not quite, but I don't want to damage this. It is a book. It is a precious, precious book. All right, this is Black Apple Bro. Bro. It is uh, copyright 2020-2021 uh, by Kyle Hettering. No, Hettinger. And this is actually something for basic fantasy. So I like basic fantasy. I played a whole bunch of it. I don't run it or play it so much anymore. But the stuff is so inexpensive, I just can't help but buy it when I see it. I think this was like $3. And it looks like it's a, uh, let's see. If you might be a player in the image, oh no, okay, okay. Black Apple is a small remote village in the edge of a great wood. It is intended to provide low-level PCs with a good starter town and a hub for adventures, big and small. So this would be fun. I could probably use it in some of my other systems. Looks like it's kind of like a, just kind of a nice, simple medieval town. It's got, uh. I see these little blocks, which means that there's monsters. Oh, it's got some decent illustrations, some line drawings. Oh, here's a fun one with, like, looks like they're probably gnomes or something, uh, harvesting giant mushrooms. Or maybe they're tiny little gnomes. But in any case, really cute. Looks like it could be really fun to run. So I'll add that to my bookshelf. Okay, let's see if this records okay. Uh, this is a passage from the story Demon and Damsel. It's from the year's best fantasy stories. And here we go. Watch carefully. You'll want to chronicle this. Quickspur put spurs into his charge's sides and galloped towards the dragon. His lance at ready. Arcana saw the dragon's corded belly flash icy white as the thing reared up household high, towering over Quickspur in his tiny lance. Sparks began to shoot sideways from the jaws of the terrible worm, and as he huffed, a spurt of flame danced out blasting the ground in front of Crickspore's horse, Forefeet. 
The horse squalled and wheeled, Quicksport grabbing onto the, his neck. Somehow he managed to keep his seat and steer the crazed horse around to attack the dragon from the side. But his lance broke against the glittering scales, and the impact sent him flying to the ground, where he lay as helpless as an overturned lobster. That is a critical fail, or a fumble. Critical hits and fumbles. All right. Well, let me apologize first if you can hear, if it's noisy here. I'm, I went for a walk, and I'm sitting on a giant boulder. Yeah, I think that uh, it, this could be considered a boulder based on its size. Um, in the middle of a river. Um, and there's some kind of, well, I wouldn't, not very quick rapids, but there's some rapids just kind of to my right. So um, we can hear the water and, uh, and all that. But I wanted to take a second because I uh, saw Evil Jeff's, or listened to Evil Jeff's uh, quick Critical Heads and Fumbles uh, podcast. It was his last one that he just put out. Just a little quick kind of uh, shout out or reach out to the, to the anchor space to... Uh, you know, are the, do these things exist in the fiction that we read, that, or maybe the, that may have been the fiction that Gygax uh, and crew were reading when they invented D&D or came out with D&D or developed, how you want to say it. And uh, I did have just uh, one quote there, and um, this was happened just to be from the last book I read. Now, granted, this came out in 1980, so it was uh, in the midst of AD&D, not necessarily uh, before it, but... Those uh, World's Best Fantasy books uh, by Lane Carter, they are great. If you haven't read that series, I recommend them highly. Lots of short stories from various artists through, and then, and I found great like authors I'd never heard of before, and and you know followed up reading them there. And of course, he's got the classics like Robert Howard and all those other ones. But um, anyways, uh, I think the the way that you can make, especially fumbles, I think critical hits most people don't have a problem with. As far as the um, narrative goes, like we understand when you hit somebody really hard and you smash their skull or whatever, you know, with an axe if you're Conan, you know, that's a critical hit. People, people get that. Whether or not you like them mechanically, that's a whole other thing. You know, swinginess and so on, like Rob's talked about a lot in Down in the Heap. Down in a Heap. Um, but I think that we have to rethink the narrative on fumbles in order to really understand a way to make them work. Not necessarily the way they're supposed to work, because depending on your system, maybe a fumble is you slip on a banana peel. But I think that if you want them to work with the fiction, you need to think of fumbles not as something that the PC does wrong, but rather that just something that happens in the world. So uh, a big argument against fumbles is that if you are, let's say, a fighter in certain games, you, you get more attacks per round, you are going to uh, fumble more often. So now you're a high-level fighter and you're fighting with three attacks per round and for some reason you fumble more often than you did when you were first level. Well, I mean, if you think about anything, it's like the more somebody does something, the more likely it is that this, something's going to go wrong. You know, no matter how good you are at something, if you are, you, there's going to be a breaking point on anything. Your sword will eventually shatter. You know, uh, the, the, the ground underneath your feet will eventually give out. The rain will eventually fall and make things slippery. You know, eventually a bug will fly in your eye. And the more things you do, um, the, the more likely it is that's going to happen, right? If I go out, like I'm hiking now, right? So if I go out hiking every single day, I'm more, much more likely to twist my ankle hiking than I am if I hike once a year, right? It's just the nature of it. I'm doing it more often. So I don't buy the fighters shouldn't fumble because they are better at fighting idea. But again, I look at fumbles differently. So let me just quickly kind of talk about how I think about fumbles, and maybe this can be a discussion um, 
When I think of a fumble, again, I don't think of it as the player character screwing up. I think that's important. That's why I'm restating it. And I think a lot of people play it that way. You know, you have a fumble and you're shooting a bow and you have a fumble and it's like, oops, I loaded the arrow the wrong way. Or, oh, I, you know, somehow aimed at the wrong person because I'm an idiot. Like, that's not a fumble to me. A fumble is your bowstring snaps or that arrow uh, had a fine crack in the... uh, you know, in, in the in the shaft that you didn't see because you're in the midst of a combat and you're fighting. So you pull this thing back and then the arrow snaps, right? This is a fumble to me. Or with a sword, you know, it's like, it, may, it could be that your hand, it's hot, and you know, and it depends on the actual combat. It's hot and sweaty, so it slips out of your hand. Or maybe the opponent is just a really good fighter or just gets a really lucky hit and knocks it out of your hand. Or maybe it breaks because it's just, it's you hit it at that just right spot. I mean, to put it to a uh, more modern version, think about how many times you've probably dropped your cell phone and it never breaks. And then that one time, it does. And that's kind of the way I look at fumbles. It's like something can happen over and over and over again and eventually it will give out. So if we think of fumbles that way, I think they become less silly and more just part of the narrative. We can turn it into an awesome part of the fight. You know, you fumble, so you drop your sword because the guy got a good blow on you or you overswung or, or whatever, right? You critically hit because you, you, they, they move the wrong way. You know, because again, why are you critically hitting against this master fighter that you're fighting, this big boss or whatever you want to call it? Like, why are they suddenly stupid? The thing is, they're not. It's all about combat is, is things moving all at once. And people will make mistakes and people will step into areas and get hit and people will miss. So I think that uh, a critical hit and fumble table is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, I will close by saying there are some of them. If you're playing in a really gonzo world, like I've seen critical fumble tables where like, you know, you swing and then all of a sudden you lose your voice because you, you screamed really loud or something like that. You know, if that's too silly for you, then don't use those. <laughs> but the idea of uh, having a fumble be just some kind of penalty because you rolled really low isn't necessarily a problem for me, um, nor is a critical hit. But that being said, if I was playing an OSR-type game and I had a choice and it was just up to me as a DM, I probably would choose not to use them. Not so much because I think they're bad, but because I just don't think they're needed. I like the idea that a 1 always misses and a 20 always hits because that then gives everything a chance. But the fact that a 1 means something bad happens and a 20 means something awesome happens, I don't necessarily think that should matter uh, per se. So I guess that's my stance on this. I don't dislike critical hits and fumbles, but they're not something I would add to my house rule document if I was running a game and given the chance. So there you go. What do you guys think? Go ahead, call in, let me know. Okay, so I have a special guest unboxing today. I've got a package from Rob over and down the heap, and my friend Nikki is here, and she's going to unbox it. Yes, I am. Hello, everybody. I'm Nikki, and I was going to unbox this with unbox this with a knife, but I think I'll just tear it open because it doesn't appear to be that hard. It's very exciting. My first unboxing. It's in an envelope from Scotch. Might need a knife after all. No, I can just grab it. She doesn't seem to care if there's a book in there. She's opening this. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt it. All right, what do we have? We have Minerzine, more green for your game. An OSR RPG issue two from December 2018. Rob was nice enough to put cardboard in it so that it didn't get 
bent in any way. Looks like it has a pillar on the cover with some eldritch symbols on it. And it has a very, uh, it's, it's pretty well put together. Published by Monkey Blood Design and Publishing. Looks like it's a little gazetteer. Interesting artwork. Some random tables, which I always like. I like random tables very, very much. <sighs> Quite a lot of random tables. Ooh, a nice map. It looks like some uh, calls it hexes and unique locations. New monsters. Ooh, I like that one. And tables. Spells and oddities. Yeah, so it looks uh, looks like a pretty nice little zine. So that's what we got today from Rob from Down in the Heap. Excellent, thank you. Well done. Cool. Okay, it looks like I got another nice little thing in the mail here. It is a tube from Through Ultan's Door. It's like not quite as long as my arm, but three quarters the length of my arm. And it's, it's pretty wide, actually. Uh, maybe two, three inches wide. And it's got some tape here, so I'm going to use my Apanel Savoie France knife to open it. Let's see if I can cut around this thing without cutting my finger off. All right. Let's get that little, like a, like a poster tube, basically. I, I, think, I think I know what this is, but I'm not sure, because outside today so it's a little bit noisy all right there we go. i think we got it i removed all the tape i think oh, maybe not there we go Ooh, that was a satisfying sound oh yes this ooh, got a little bit beat up from bouncing back and forth it looks like it looks like it's not the edge is a little smushed that's a bummer Oh yes, this is a beautiful poster. It's, it says White Jungle and this kind of this crazy lion kind of creature that has a bunch of tentacles coming out of its butt and its head is like a giant bug head with long ears and it's sitting on a skull of some kind of alien yeah, I mean, if you've played through Ultan's door, you kind of get this. <laughs> uh, this is really cool, and I will be hanging it up for sure. i got to put it in a, a nice little frame. There you go. Got a poster, and we got the medicine. So that's a pretty good haul today. Okay, let's talk about engagement. So, uh, recently on Nerds RPG Variety Cast, uh, your director called in, and he mentioned that... Uh, Virtual tabletops uh, help keep players engaged, and I kind of uh, jokingly replied back saying that uh, keeps them engaged in the tabletop, not in the game. Uh, you know, joking, of course, every table's a little different. Um, well, we'll say partially joking, because I do feel like when people have toys to play with, they'll play with them. It's like when people talk about the players like on their phones or stacking dice or those things that they do in person. Um, I feel like it's the same thing. You're on a virtual tabletop, you can move tokens around, you can look at your character sheet, you can... Well, I guess if you roll, people are going to see you, but 
you know, I mean, people, anything that will distract from the game can distract from the game, though many things add to it, of course. Um, so this is not to bash virtual tabletops, but rather just talk about engagement in general. So what do we even mean by that? And how do we keep our players engaged? That's what I'm going to talk a little bit about here, kind of breaking the rhythm of this podcast, uh, going off my more mechanical focus to something maybe a little bit more um, philosophical. Um, so, what my whistle there? So, some techniques to keep people engaged. I think what's important um, as a referee or somebody running any role-playing game is to be cognizant of what's going on at the table. Uh, paying attention to the players is really, really important. Essentially, if you can see that somebody is fading, then oftentimes you can bring them in by directly uh, interacting with their character, right? So basically, if you are, uh, let's say, in a, a role play situation and the you know you have players that aren't engaged in that for whatever reason, um, they can become engaged simply by having something happen with their character. Possibly you have them notice something. Possibly you have somebody that's uh, in the uh, social situation engage with them directly. I think that's the most heavy-handed way and sometimes not appropriate, right? If I'm playing a character that is not a social character, one that doesn't get involved in the social, and I am now bored, um, I don't want to be involved in the social. I mean, I could just do that on my own, typically as a player, right? Because I'm not involved because I am not playing that kind of character. So I don't want the king to engage with me. Because as a player, that's not going to make me more engaged. That's going to make me now under pressure to do something that I wasn't really wanting to do. That wasn't the part of the gameplay that I like. I like the combat, let's say. And obviously combat's not going to happen right now. So what can I do? Well, maybe I can start to, as a GM, foreshadow some things that could happen. So the party's talking with the, uh, with the noble. Maybe it's going a little bit rough. And maybe when you, you can see the character that plays the barbarian or the fighter is lacking engagement, you can see that they're starting to mess around on the virtual tabletop or they're, they're, they're picking up their phone or whatever. You can then, uh, you know, say, <clears throat> oh, uh, go ahead, uh, Dragor, and roll a, a die, whatever. Or you could just mention it, right? Not every moral die. And then let them have some information about the situation. Maybe it's unrelated, you know, um, you know, to what's actually going on, but something that a fighter would notice. Oh, you notice that the this uh, throne room um, has a door that's kind of like partially concealed behind curtains behind the throne. Oh, you notice that uh, as some shadows move by, that there's some uh, some windows up high, 20 feet up, and clearly there's a guard that uh, is walking around, likely with a crossbow. Uh, that can uh, that could easily shoot down into the group um, if you know combat it was to happen. Oh, you notice uh, you know the insignia on these uh, guards' uniforms or what weapons they're carrying or you know this kind of stuff like something that the the player and again it doesn't necessarily have to make a difference right now or, or really ever unless they grab onto it but it just get them to turn around and get them their head back in that moment because right as a player of a character like that. You probably want to know that kind of information, but you don't want to interrupt the role play 
that you know you got the DM or GM or referee as I like to call it uh, engaged with the, the bard player um, in a, a, a awesome role play. You don't want to be like, uh, are there any guards uh, walking around above? Like just in the middle of it, you wouldn't ask that because it's going to be not. Um, it'd be kind of rude, essentially. I mean, and you, and you have to think like, um, you know, BJ has been talking about this a bit in the Arcane Alias and some of his, uh, uh, some of his uh, RPG a day things about the idea of that. You know, you've got to think about everybody else's table too. Uh, I think he talked about that in the Think one. <laughs> so um, that is that is something to be wary of, right? Is that you need to think about how each of your players, right? And again, players, I, I know there's all these blog posts and videos where people talk about, there's different types of players. But in, in reality, I think most people are a little bit of everything. And so one, there's no like one solution, but certainly there are players that, that tend to not like certain types or not focus on certain types or not prefer certain types of role play or, or part of the role play game. And for those players, we can definitely... Um, notice them losing engagement and when we do we can uh try to throw something in that will just bring them back into the fiction not necessarily into the scene but into the fiction i think that's kind of a really basic thing to do and what i try to do now granted when you're playing online it is a little bit more difficult to kind of especially if people are using avatars and not using cameras it can be difficult to know um what everybody's up to so what i find is, is a good technique especially in like uh situations where one character really takes the lead that generally happens a lot in heavy role play situations and also in scouting right with like a thief going ahead what you want to do is i mean you don't need to set an actual timer but maybe you do if you're just starting and you want to get used to it um what you want to do is have like an internal timer uh to know okay that's long enough let me jump to the party and even if what's going on with the party is not that interesting it just brings everybody because some of the players are going to be listening to what the thief's doing very intently, right? Because some people look at I'm that kind of player. I like to, so I'm sometimes I'm a very quiet player because I like to listen to what other player characters are doing. I like the story. I, that's something that I enjoy as a player. Some players do not like that. They don't care what the thief's doing. They just want to get into the next room so they can steal the gold or or fight the monster or do a roleplay session, right? So. I think that what you need to do is, you know, periodically just check back in with the party and just say, okay, yeah, you were, you were guarding here. Um, you know, you, you heard some stuff go by. Clearly the guards are on a certain patrol, but, um, you know, none have come close enough to you for you to know how they're armed, uh, yet, but you, you've been counting now for the last 10 minutes and you've seen them go by twice. Do so you think they make maybe a five, uh, five minute patrol? And, you know, you just throw that little information at them. And then those players might actually ask a few questions there. You have a little bit of engagement there. And then you drop back into the, the scene with the thief. Ideally, you want to do this when it's dramatic, right? When the thief, like, opens the door and you go, okay, uh, we're going to make a move silently, roll, open that door. Okay, so uh, what's the rest of the party doing? You know, you do that kind of stuff so that everybody's just now. That way the thief doesn't get bored because they're sitting there going, oh, my God, why did I make that roll? What's going to happen to me? So, yeah, I think that... Uh, that that's just one way to do it. So, I mean, as much as I joke about the virtual tabletop, I do think removing distractions helps, but I don't think that's the solution. I think the real solution to keep people uh, in, involved in the game or engaged in the game is to just make sure their characters are doing something that their character and the player that plays them enjoys. And I think over time, you'll learn this by playing with people more and more. I guess you could have a survey or something when you're first starting, but that seems impractical to me. So I think that maybe when you first start to play with people, you're going to find that they might be harder to engage them until you realize 
what it is that engages the different types of players that you have at your table. Okay, well, I've just gotten home, and I see there's a package here. There's a white envelope. It's about, uh, I'm going to say about maybe 10 inches square. It's padded. Um, it's a little torn, so I hope the contents is not damaged. But uh, what interests me here is that it comes from overseas. It comes from France. And it's kind of a giveaway because it says right on it what it is. It's from Knock exclamation point, which is... A Kickstarter that I backed, so let's just cut this open. I think I'm gonna do a full episode on this, but I can't wait to open it, so I'm gonna open it right now. Oh, yep. Oh, yes. The bubble envelope, it was torn. Um, however, the book looks fine. Books, I should say, because I did the two book, went in with the buddy, and did the two book. Uh, function of the Kickstarter. So the cover of this is kind of like a, what's like a skull with kind of flesh being added to it, yellow teeth. It's got three eyes, one in the center of its skull and then two in where you'd normally expect them to be. Uh, they are yellow. Both the teeth and the eyeballs are yellow. And on the back, we've got a lot of what made up Blackmore was input from the players and the way they were seeing the world and what they were doing in it. I just kept notes. I built the framework and would occasionally throw in a few storylines, but it was as the players getting involved and filling in a lot of the gaps that made a difference. That is a quote from Dave Arneson and is on the back of this. This is currently shrink-wrapped, so I'm not gonna open it, and I think I will do another episode just going through this, because if you don't know about Knock, maybe I'll talk about the first issue as well. It's essentially what they're calling an old-school gaming bric-a-brac. And my understanding is this is basically a collection of various uh, things from the web, uh, blogs and such, put together into a beautiful uh, book. All right. All right. That's all for me right now. Um, I'll try to be more consistent, so I guess maybe this could have been two episodes. Uh but I want to thank everybody who called in and also those people that inspired me that did not call in yet. Maybe they'll call in based on this. Uh, lots of good conversations out here in the uh, Anchor uh, universe, or sphere, uh, whatever they're going to call it. Um, lots of great uh, topics people are talking about and uh, lots of great engagement. So uh, anybody who wants to call in, feel free to call in on the Anchor app here. Um, or, of course, you can always uh, follow me on YouTube, Bandits Keep, and uh, I'll talk to you soon.